Blue, 42. Blue, 42. Omaha. Omaha. Set, hut. Well, Paul, that really looked like it's a first down for Spooner. All right, first down. Huddle up, huddle up. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. We are on location today at Arizona Sports Medicine Clinic, and I am joined as my co-host with Becca Hibbert. Hello. And she is going to take a moment to introduce our two guests, one who is in person and one who is virtual. We are very lucky to have our two guests with us today. One of the best things about the huddle over the past two years is having both of these individuals speak, and we're very lucky they are going to be speaking again. And so I'm going to just quickly say your names, but uh, hopefully you guys will introduce yourselves a little bit better than I will. First, we have Dr. Charles Peterson with us. Uh, would you mind telling the group, or the crowd, a little bit about your experience um, as a physician? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Peterson, thank you for the introduction. And um, as far as you want educational background or just experience, what would you like? I said just, just experiences. Of how long you've been a physician? So been in practice here in Arizona for coming up on twenty two years, and uh, and all of that's been with Waz, our friend on the other side here. And as far as team coverage, I've been fortunate to help with the Diamondbacks, Cardinals, helped. It helped some years ago with the Coyotes as well, Phoenix Suns at one point, um, currently Cardinals and Diamondbacks, and then also help with Chicago Cubs. And then I do some uh, trips with World Cup tour with the U.S. ski team. And uh, and then Mountain View High School is the team I've taken care of for uh, about 22 years. Awesome. Thank you. And then, as he mentioned, we also have Dr. Gary Wozlewski with us. Um, so if you don't mind introducing yourself a little bit to the crowd we have listening. Certainly, Becca. So, uh, orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. Peterson and I started Arizona Sports Medicine Center about, like he said, 22 years ago or so. Um, during that time frame, we went from taking care of multiple high schools to some colleges to we morphed into professional sports <clears throat> and at points in time have taken care of all four of the major sports franchises in Phoenix Chuck has dabbled in uh, international sports with skiing. I have done international uh, hockey with USA Hockey as well. And so that's our background as far as uh, what we do sports-wise. Dr. Peterson has basically recreated the practice of ultrasound uh, medicine, something that was long forgotten for a long time as everybody loved the MRI scan and his uh, diagnostic and therapeutic use of the ultrasound is unparalleled in the United States. He has some peers, but he has no no one better. So hopefully we can uh, kind of delve into that a little bit because it's it's an interesting topic that I think not a lot of people know about. Again, the love of the MRI scan kind of obscures that, but uh, its practicality in everyday practice is unbelievable. So let's let's see what you got for us, Becca. Well, I'm going to ask the first question. 
So the two of you, well, first off, thank you for joining us again on the pod, uh, the pod. Last year, we had you both on individually. This time, we're lucky enough to have you together. Also, thank you again for speaking at the huddle and, and Dr. Wazusi continuing to be one of our uh, go-to individuals of helping us network across providers. And we have an amazing, incredible lineup of, of speakers again. So those of you who have the ability to travel to Phoenix, please come join us the first full weekend in Phoenix of April. Uh, it's also final four weekends, so there's an opportunity to, to see some high quality basketball. Perhaps the state of Arizona will have two teams playing. Apparently, you know, the GCU coach says that his team's ready to go to the final four. Now, we'll see. Arizona's got to get past Princeton. If they play Princeton again, maybe they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, so, really, the kind of the first question that I, I want to hear you guys talk about is how sports medicine has evolved during your tenure and how the two of you have kind of spearheaded that evolution, kind of what we were talking about a little bit in show prep, Dr. Dr. Peterson, about how historically non-operative sports medicine teams aren't on the orthopedic side. And Dr. Wazuski was instrumental in saying, no, you are a part of that. So kind of talk to us about what you guys have seen, the evolution of, of sports medicine, kind of like you alluded to Dr. Wazuski about you know, your, your transition from high school to college to then professional ranks? That's a great question. So I, I can give a few examples. So in my training, I had zero ultrasound training other than when I was in family medicine residency, I learned it for OB care. I, and there was the ultrasound machine and I didn't once apply it to anyone's knee or shoulder or anything else. It just wasn't a thing. And we didn't even think about it. Then when I went to fellowship, there was no uh, ultrasound use or for guided injections or anything like that. It was all just based on landmarks. And that's how I learned it. When I learned how to inject a hip, for example, it was a 75-year-old orthopedist in Milwaukee that showed me landmarks and said, don't hit the artery, don't hit the nerve. That's about the right spot. You'll hit the femoral head, go. And that's how we did things. And it worked great. Uh, now I, I liken ultrasound guided procedures to driving at night with the lights on. You know, it's, it's so much better and I can do so many more things. And so my practice has evolved as that has come more into more into the forefront. And and I first learned about ultrasound guided things at my academy meetings. You know, every year I go to the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine and and other other uh, other meetings. And and I took a few years of going to ultrasound courses to learn sort of, you know, uh, to learn learn the craft, I would say. And then it came down to it, I can't even remember how many years ago now, but many years ago, more than 15. I just decided I'm ready. And instead of buying a car, I kept my old car. It was a 96 Ultima. And I just kept that for a few more years and bought an ultrasound machine instead. <laughs> and uh, and the best decision I made. And I was able then to continue to increase my abilities. And one thing that was interesting, some of the things that I still do today started with a bright idea from Waz. You know, he's 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 reading journals all the time and very academic and thinking about different things. And I remember one time he said, Hey, Chuck, uh, do you think, uh, here's, a, here's an article a patient showed me from Germany about hydrodilation for a frozen shoulder. Do you think you could do that? And he'd tell me about it and I'd say, yeah, I could totally do that. And, and so he'd send me the patient and I would do it. And another time he said, hey, I've got this patient with MRI where there's the, the, their, their supraspinatus, infraspinatus is completely dropped and there's a paralabral cyst in the super, you know, suprascapular notch right on that right on that, right on the nerve squishing things. 
and that's what's dropped their their rotator cuff and that's why there's weakness but if i operate i'm gonna have to dig through a lot of important structures and it's, it'll be kind of tough and do you think you could get that with the ultrasound needle i said huh yeah, I could. And so he would always encourage me and give me new avenues and send patients to me to to do that. And it would work. And next, you know, the cyst is gone and, and put a little cortisone in there. Their cuff comes back and they rehab and they're strengthened and they didn't have surgery. And so was would help me in that way. Um, another time we had a, a patient, a young kid that unfortunately an urgent care had missed that his shoulder was dislocated, a high school football player. And it was out like four days. And that's that's hard. He was just in clinic. I'm like, whoa. So the first thing I do is say, hey, Waz, we look at this x-ray with me? And he looks and he goes, yep, dislocated. I say, so surgical, right? Do you want to take him to the OR, put that in? He goes, well, why don't you just inject it with a bunch of fluid and and then let it hang for a while with a weight on his hand and then and then put it back in? I went, huh, that's a pretty good idea. So I did that and put high volume saline into his shoulder with some with some lidocaine and uh, let it sit for a few minutes with a, with a weight in his hand. I taped it in with him on his chest. And then I went back and it went right back in and he didn't have to have surgery. And it ended up being a really good result on a kid that would have had to have an open reduction otherwise, probably after, I mean, the odds of getting it back in after four days out are pretty rough. So things like that, that have just helped me to expand as a practitioner and to learn the craft. It's kind of simultaneous, simultaneously with Waz as we took care of athletes and as we took care of teams. And I found that just really interesting. And so it's in many ways, a lot of the interesting breakthroughs that I would sort of find for my practice was sometimes was an idea from Waz said, hey, can you do this? And I'd say, yes, I can. And, and, and he'd encourage me and I'd do it. So, and then it, and then the ultrasound really has been useful, both diagnostically say somebody can't have an MRI because of they have a pacemaker, but we need to look at the rotator cuff. I can look at that and see if there's a tear or not, you know, when they can't have an MRI and also dynamic things, is this getting pinched when they move? I can dynamically look at it. Whereas MRI so far is a static image. I can dynamically check it out. So diagnostically that's useful. And then procedurally wise aspirations, injections, you name the spot, the ligament, the tendon, we can do it at the joint. Uh, but then also things such as nerves. So where will, you know, I've, I've developed this, this, um, this protocol for doing injections around nerves that is hydrodissection where we can, instead of having to surgically dissect a nerve and move it, we can use water pressure to hydraulically dissect it. And that can solve a problem and, and get a little pinch out. And so as that has become sort of a, a forward momentum thing for my particular specialty of sports medicine, ultrasound has become big in that I've been fortunate enough to sort of surf that wave and not be crashed on by it, but surf that wave and, and progress forward with it and really have some really neat things that occur. And in addition to that, different procedures that come out that are ultrasound guided, such as carpal tunnel release or trigger finger release or, or, or a 10X, you know, percutaneous tenotomy, some of these things that have helped me to advance with um, breakthroughs on, on, um, on, on minimally invasive procedures. So, and then being able to do that in conjunction with this awesome surgeon that has helped and guided me during my career, uh, where we sort of piggyback, uh, with each other. So I'll, I'll see a patient and if they have an ACL tear, they're teed up and they go see Waz and they're ready to roll. And then he takes care of them, doesn't have to wade through so many patients and so many things. And then vice versa, when there's something that he thinks would be usefully treated non-operatively, he'll send it my way. And so we're able to try to provide the, the patients and the players with the, with the best care, whether it's surgical or not, and just kind of working together team-wise. What do you think, Waz? Yeah, that, that's the current, that, that is the up-to-date modern sports medicine. I would say, so I had the 
the blessing of training with the best sports surgeon in history, James Andrews, and the best sports medicine surgeon, Bill Clancy. But prior to that, I, I was training with John Nesbitt, who is at the University of Arizona, who introduced me to chiropractic care, uh, upper limb neural tension signs and things. And he told me straight out, there are things that you are not going to be able to fix. And this is 19 in late 1990s. And the longer you practice as a surgeon, the more you find there is less that you need to do as a surgeon. And there are more things that can be fixed by the chiropractor, the physical therapist, the athletic trainer, the non-operative sports medicine doctor on there. And the longer that I'm in this, the more that I find that to be the case. I am doing less and less surgery now. Chuck pointed out ACL tears. <clears throat> yeah, if, if something tears your ACL, you got to reconstruct it. But the majority of the soft tissue injuries and other problems that we see, they're non-surgical. So you, the, your orthopedic surgeon may be put at the top of the pyramid, but he's probably one of the least important members of the sports medicine care team for the athlete. Wow, that's pretty humble for, for Waz to say that because he's he's a tough It's not humble, it's true. And, and you learn that at the time, um, and sometimes it takes people longer than others. But luckily, I learned it at a uh, at an early point in my career from John Nisbet that there are other equally or more important practitioners for your athletes than the surgeon. And my first job in the Valley was what was invited me to, uh, to join where he was, where he was. I first met him as a patient when I was in residency. And one of the first things was taught me that he had learned uh, that, and this has been foundational in my career. He said, we'd never do anything based on money or ego in, uh, in medicine. And was lives up to that. And there's just no ego there, even though he is the top of the pyramid, he sees himself as the base of the pyramid. Well, and you know, over my tenure working with both of you, that's the thing that I have appreciated and why I have sent so many patients to see the two of you, because if I text you a question and say, here's what I'm thinking, there's been multiple times, Dr. Peterson, you've said, I'm 95% certain that what you are thinking is correct and here's what i'd recommend and if it doesn't get better in two weeks then send them to me because then they probably need you know hydrodilation or something like that but you're on the right track go um you know the the collaboration of care across with you know post-surgical patients with dr wazlewski of just of just saying here's i need your help and he gives me his advice and his opinion, and it's with the ability because he wants to put the patient, the athlete at the center. Um, and it doesn't matter ultimately whose idea it was. It just matters that we get the patient better. And I think that that's also one of the founding principles of our sports medicine conference is based what Dr. Wazowski just stated is it takes all of us to be able to care for an individual because we all have our unique role and opportunity to be involved in the care including the athlete. Correct. You now we need to listen to them. And this is about them, like you said. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I often will talk to our therapists or athletic trainers. And the thing I'm always telling them is there is no one sports medicine professional that is the most important part of the athlete's care at different times were important in different ways. And somebody might take the lead at one point and then somebody might be more important at another. But I appreciate, especially two individuals who have been in sports medicine for so long, speaking to that just naturally, knowing that 
if you don't have the solution, who is the person that I can turn to that may have the solution? Who's somebody I can collaborate and work with? Um, so why is it important to both of you, not just with each other, but with physical therapists, with athletic trainers, strength coaches, whoever it is, the athlete, as you mentioned, um, why is it so important for you guys to collaborate on that care? I'm, I'll, I'll jump in and, and I'll use a local example. Um, our community college, I get emails weekly from Tony neighbors, Scottsdale community college. There is uh, a boatload of guys on the injury list and 19 out of 20 of those players, the head athletic trainer will get better. And I see it. I see it weekly because I get the updates every week or a little bit more often than that, that he's treating these and getting these things better. So the, Communication with the athletic trainer, the physical therapist is critical because most of the stuff Dr. Peterson and I don't see, the therapists and the trainers get it better on their own. So we go to our meetings like Chuck talked about, the uh, surgical societies, or medical societies, but we rarely talk about how many patients are being improved and healed without us ever, without them ever setting foot in my office. Yeah. And, you know, one, one little example I would say just in our community here. So I've been Mountain View High School's team physician. I started in, in uh, 2002. And just as an aside, one time I was at a restaurant with my wife and this guy with a beard and a little baby and his wife comes over and says hi. And I'm like, oh, hi. And I don't remember him. And he said, oh, you were the team doctor for my wife and me. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, is this your first? He goes, no, that's our fifth. And, uh, and I go, oh, oh, neat. What, what do you do? What are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm an anesthesiologist. And I went, oh, that's when you know you're old. But so I have this little bit know, of schooling time where I've seen young athletes turn into anesthesiologists, fathers of five and mothers and five. And, and um, but uh, but just to kind of feed into this, just for that particular community where I've gotten and I live about a half mile from the school. My kids have all gone there. My wife graduated from there. So it's kind of fun. And that's why I still do it. But uh, like Ray, my uh, athletic trainer here, uh, he and Raylene, my medical assistant, and I and the athletic trainer at the high school, we're on a text group and everything all the time, like more than sometimes once a day, sometimes more than once a day, sometimes, you know, it might be a couple of days, but not very much between. But but we are always having conversations about the athletes and how do we do this and how do we do that and let's get in touch with this this parent and let's get the kid in and let's here's how they're doing and and that collaborative effort and sometimes um, Maxie the the head trainer she's fantastic and sometimes she just needs a you know what Maxie that's a great idea I you're right that's going to work and then she's that just bolsters her confidence and it also gives her in some ways an authority to go back to the parents and uh, and. And sometimes we just need to send a note that backs up what she's saying and, you know, just different things like that and that collaborative effort. And it's kind of fun, you know, Maxie will say, I love our team. And, you know, the, the trainer will send that to the four of us. And, and that type of thing on a community basis is the, is the same thing that's nice when you have on a larger scope too. But, but that's the idea when you can work together as, as a team and, and, you know, as the medical assistant or the athletic trainer or the school trainer or myself, who, who's most important? Well, the, the kid is the most important. And we're all working together to make sure that happens. Yeah, I mean, I think so often we've, you know, you talked about being egoless and that's the importance of having resources and other professionals. I think that we can all talk to is because oftentimes to Dan's point, you think you're on the right path. You're feeling pretty good about what you're doing. 
But like you said, sometimes you just need somebody else to say, okay, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, that's right. And, and you, I need that too. Yeah, you need somebody's outside perspective to say, these are all the things I've tried. Do you have anything else? And I think that's what particularly I find so special about the huddle is that because if we're putting the athlete at the center of care, which we all should be, then they're going to need different professionals at different times. But if we don't know, so if I, as an athletic trainer, have no idea what a physician is doing or even what the physical therapist is doing or what the newest techniques are or whatever it may be, then we're not taking care of the athlete at the highest level. And so what I appreciate so much about the huddle is that we bring together experts in different fields to be able to learn about the new thing or how do they handle it from their perspective versus how would we handle it from our perspective. Yeah. And it's also good to have networks so we can, we can help each other broaden. So like I'll get, I'll get a text from a trainer with one of the pro teams. Says, hey, who, who's a urologist or who's a, you know, and, and we can help coordinate that way in the community. Uh, so those types of networks are important. And sometimes it'll be a little bit thinking outside of the box. Like we need, a myopractor, like I know Waz and I both use, but Waz really has used quite a bit with the Diamondbacks, Chuck Clark. He's a, he does myopractic care. He's a chiropractic that does that. And sometimes these gurus of a certain thing can fix something that I don't know how, but I know he can, or a naturopathic physician or acupuncture or whatever it might be. You know, there, there are different things that we might need to look into to try to get a job done creatively and effectively. So, okay. I, I have a feeling that there's some therapists that are going to listen to this or athletic trainers and go, I'm intimidated trying to reach out to a doc, yeah. whether it's a surgeon, period, right? Like just reaching out in general. And you've probably had those awkward conversations or received an awkward text message or listened to an awkward voicemail that you all are chuckling at. Um, shout out to Michael Kurdock. His his voicemail for Dr. P uh, Dr. Friedberg is so funny. When I left them a message, I was laughing out loud as I was attempting to try and leave them a very professional message because their voicemail is hilarious. Like, what are you, what's your advice? Like, how would you suggest a young therapist, athletic trainer, strength coach, f even young fellow doc, like the strategies to reach out, to ask for help or to collaborate or to, you know, cause they're afraid of, honestly, they're afraid of getting yelled at. Yeah. Well, first of all, they're not, I mean, if they get yelled at, then they know not to reach out that way, you know? So find people that don't yell at you. Uh, and then it's, and it's okay to reach out. And, and honestly, I mean, time is very, um, there are time constraints and we can't, always be available for everybody all the time from everywhere. I, I, we were taking care of patients, you know, and I don't even carry my phone when I'm seeing patients, but I look between and, and during lunch and whatnot afterwards, and we get back to people. But uh, I think what I would say is, is find a way into the network, whatever that is. Find somebody that you are comfortable talking to and build it from there. Like I'll give just a funny example that Waz doesn't know. There are certain therapists that text me regularly and ask me questions about what Waz thinks. And, and how do I get in? Hey, how can, because, because they know me and they're not afraid of, they don't need to be afraid of Waz at all. But what I mean is for whatever reason, right. they're in my little community and they feel comfortable texting me, but they're a little afraid of texting Waz, even though he's the nicest guy in the world, but still, but ask me a question and I'll find out from Waz and I'll tell them, or I get him in with Waz and I help facilitate. So, I'm, I mean, in some ways I've become a glorified scheduler, but I'm happy to do that if it, you know, if it helps somebody. And so I guess whatever whatever angle you can find into the network, into the nexus of getting the job done, do it. And if that's through an athletic trainer or through a friend or a family member or whatever it might be, 
you 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 do it and and uh but honestly there's nobody that's uh more easygoing than was so i don't know why anyone would be afraid of texting him but but some people are because he's just he's he's cool he does great things mm -hmm. well i would i would throw it back on so dan how many times have you come to the office with patients of yours or ours i would say ours and come in with them and it's made the patient experience a ton better because you tell me what you've been doing you actually teach me some stuff that i didn't know exercise wise or whatnot on there um so it's been a great experience for me to have dan and other therapists or athletic trainers come into the office with their patients and teach me stuff and and as you know the therapist and the head athletic trainer they know those patients the best so if you can get them in the office, you're going to get the best thorough eval, head to toe, mindset, body. I, I just, I love having the therapist come in. I'm, I, I can't tell you how much it, it benefits me to have him come in. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from when Dan comes in and teaches me what he is working on exercise wise. And I didn't really understand what the problem was that he's correcting and now he not only teaches me what he's doing but i can look for it on my exam in patients going forward that's a great point and another point i would add to that is they also make fantastic you know when a trainer or a therapist comes in they're fantastic patient advocates they know an answer to a question but they know the patient needs to know it and the patient doesn't know what to ask so they might ask the perfect question that brings out the right answer from was about their recovery or their progression and uh and then the patient gets to learn so it really becomes a nice uh, format well and the thing that i've appreciated selfishly when i go to to, to follow-ups is i didn't see the tissue i didn't touch the tissue you that's your guys's expertise and so if a patient's like well when is this going to be i go I'm not in charge until Dr. Waz or Dr. Peterson says I'm in charge because they touched the tissue. They saw the tissue. They, they know what that was like during, you know, the, the debridement, the tenotomy, the reconstruction, whatever it was. And hearing your language then helps me to connect back with that patient and saying, okay, you know, you're going into for a follow-up. Here's what, I need you to ask because I can't be there today or, or tomorrow, whatever that follow-up is, but also here's what they're going to want to know from you based on our interactions of that. Like you said, the, the, those patient follow-ups. And I think that that besides finding an easy end in the network, that would be my recommendation is reach out to the doc and say, is it possible for me to attend a follow-up and they have it on this day and you know, you guys are always good at looking at your day and be like, yeah, maybe not that day because that's going to be a crazy day. But OK, I can respect that uh, because, again, it's the time and, and the athlete can respect that, too, because you're you're at least taking the time to look and say, mm, maybe not today, but I'm going to follow up with you after I see the athlete so that we can ensure that we're on the same page moving forward. I would just like to add to that. Please don't be a salesman as a therapist or an athletic trainer. Nobody wants to be sold anything. For the love of God, please do not walk into these offices trying to sell things. Uh, it doesn't work, just an FYI. I would agree. I think the, the, the times that I feel the most kinship is when there's collegiality and we're working together and nobody's selling anybody anything. And that builds trust and friendship and loyalty. 100% agree with you.
Yeah, That's we've all been in those situations where we just think, I don't really want to talk to you because you're just trying to sell me something versus we're all worried about the athlete. How do we get the athlete better? And let's talk about that. The best way to make that network of trust is to just work together. Yeah, totally That's agree. Fantastic. All right. So as Dr. Peterson alluded to in the introduction and in, in talking about his evolution, his career, Dr. Wazlewski's career, you know, you mentioned that Dr. Wazlewski has been the head team physician for all four major Phoenix area professional sports teams. And on numerous occasions was the head team orthopedic surgeon for three of them concurrently. Uh, so can you just kind of walk us through what that was like and how you managed that and the pearls and the things that you learned by interacting with all of those different athletes and athlete types and people involved in their care is that for me or Dr. Peterson? That's for you, Dr. Wozniski. Because yeah. you did it. <laughs> so, yeah. So the um, the important thing is to accumulate as much talent as you can to help and not be, I, I don't know what the correct word is, but the more help, the better. Um, that's one. Um, it is a lot of time. So you have to be willing to dedicate the time because you're talking to players. Uh, see the player, you're talking to the general manager, the head athletic trainer, you're talking then to the agent, then you're calling the player back again, then you're calling the head athletic trainer back again. So it is a, an unbelievably time-consuming project. And so it is not a uh, financial if financially it's disadvantageous if that's what you're looking for but if you really love sports medicine if you really love helping the athlete that it's very rewarding um, you just have to be aware of how much time that it does consume yeah i i i love to help was do these things I have no idea how he was able is able to do all of these things over his career, how he's done that with each of these teams, sim concurrent, simultaneous teams at once, fielding things from all of those people. It, it's actually amazing. And somehow he's very adept at it. What, uh, so what, what pearls, what things have you learned that are the most important out of, out of managing that somehow? You said, you said uh, some already. Do you have any other ideas? Um, well, it's, it's communication and it's immediate communication. So you cannot let a player walk out of your eyes, especially in today's age with uh, social media and whatnot. You cannot let a player walk out of the office without also talking to the head athletic trainer and general manager. The worst thing that can happen in the world is a general manager sees on ESPN that his player is out for X number of weeks because Dr. So-and-so said he's got a whatever diagnosis. So it's, it's immediacy and it's, uh, it's in inclusivity and it's, um, it, it, it's hard. It's, it's really hard, but it's, it's. One thing I've also seen from you that I try to emulate is, is, uh, being a sports medicine doctor, being available, like being present. And if somebody needs something on a Saturday afternoon, we go do it. If somebody needs something, if somebody needs to talk on a Sunday, whenever, well, we step out of what we're doing and we do it. You know, we're, we're available and we're present. And there's a level of, of just gritty hustle that you have to do that, again, I've seen and have tried to emulate. Yeah, I think I remember last year in the huddle, uh, I, was, I was sitting next to you and you kind of had a little chuckle 
and you leaned over and you very quietly said, I have to step out for a second. And I said, okay. And then you chuckled again. And I said, what's the chuckle for? Chuck's not on stage. <laughs> and, he's, and you said, well, I have to go do a physical on one of the Diamondbacks players who's preparing to sign a contract. And I have to make sure that before this athlete is, you know, that as an organization that we're, that they're going to commit to long-term with this athlete, we got to make sure that he, he meets everything from a physical standpoint. So I'm sorry, but I got to go do this. Right. And that's in the middle of our sports medicine conference. And next thing I know you're back. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that speaks to what you were just saying of being available and, and still being able to be present and, 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 step right back into the conference and act like you didn't miss a beat yeah and sometimes you have to step away big time like uh, was remembers this back 10 years ago i got a call from the cubs and they said hey we we heard you like to go to haiti would you like to go to haiti and i go i always like to go to haiti okay we'll call you back next thing i know yada yada they put me on a flight that night to go to haiti <laughs> to find a player that they were trying to sign a 30 million dollar contract for and i so, i luckily i speak Spanish, Haitian Creole, and English. So I was probably the one guy that was able to do this. Right. And and I had to cancel clinic the next day and fly to Haiti. And 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 sometimes you do things that really help the organization. And it's not financially advantageous. It's there's a lot of weird to it, but you have to be available, present, and willing to do things that others don't know how or are unwilling to do. I think that's a really good point too, because we hear a lot. And I'll say, I think it's in all professions, athletic training, physical therapy, physicians, where a lot of people want to do sports medicine. They want to be a part of sports medicine. But I don't think anybody really understa understands the time commitment yeah. to being a part of that. And I often will joke with people if they'll, you know, say if it's their first time in an athletic training room and they'll say, oh, the coach is trying to rush us along or I'm, I'm like, welcome to athletics. You're not on your schedule. You're on everyone else's schedule. And I think a lot of times when we talk to young clinicians about wanting to do sports medicine, my always big thing to them is you have to understand it does not end just because you end. Like right. it continues. And, and then you have to find life balance. You have to Correct. find a way to Correct. have your family and have your life and do things and to incorporate it in. You know, I, I think back to times where I can remember doing a physical with my son Scotty on my back. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and when I was done with the otoscope, I'd hand it to him and then he'd hand it back to me and I'd get to work. Uh, and then I, and I covered sidelines with my son, Josh, uh, from age nine forward. Like when I finished with fellowship, we came out and now, and, and he, and he got to, and he'd come to, to physicals and other things with me and I take him places and he got to know Dr. Grislow, for example, who's the head surgeon for the Chicago Cubs, Josh now. And he, and then he was an athletic trainer at the high school that I mentioned at Mountain View high school. And we worked the sidelines together. And now Josh is one of Grizz's uh, orthopedic residents. And, and when he grows up, he wants to be was, he doesn't want to be me. He wants to be was. He's going to be a sports <laughs> orthopedist. And so it's kind of cool where you can integrate your family into your life and see what happens, you know, and, yeah. and have these fantastic experiences. And Josh has come with me and covered ski team events in France. And he's, he's gone to Haiti with me and we did a soccer thing and traveled around the country and he rode his bike across the country with me as we did a medical bicycle tour. Uh, and you can, you can incorporate those you love and want to do things with. You don't have to leave them in the dust, incorporate them just like was what he does so much with, with Zach with baseball or with his, with his daughters, with softball and with equestrian. I mean, it, it, that's his life. And so sports medicine and life become what you do and who you are. Yeah. Thank you so much to both of you for 
talking with Dan and I today for being here. Um, most importantly, thank you once again for being huge parts of the huddle. And for all of you who are listening, we would love to have you, as Dan mentioned, attend in person. If you can do that, it's April 5th and 6th in Phoenix, but we also have virtual option available so you can learn truly from some of the best sports medicine minds in the country uh, over those two days. And thank you again to both of you for being here with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks for letting thanks, us. Becca. Thanks, Becca. Yeah, thank you, Becca. Thanks, Dan. Absolutely. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app.